Galatians chapter 6, we'll start in verse 11, and let me give you um, a couple things as we get going, okay? First, we've been doing this series now for, I believe, I believe this is week 13 of our Galatians series, and every week we've talked about how Paul is pretty much unceasingly and unabashedly preaching the gospel, maybe in its most pure form. Just, listen, this is the truth, this is what the gospel is, and these are the implications, right? And so, um, we're not doing anything different tonight. And so, uh, as part of a way to, for, for me to, let, to see if you guys actually paid attention the last 12 weeks, is I'm gonna, I might throw out some, uh, some Ricardos, right? You might know them as amens, right? So, um, and I'm just going to need to hear some amen right back, okay? We're going to have to do kind of a, a joint thing here. And then, um, secondly, here's what Paul's going to do in the last eight verses of this entire letter. He's going to set up this juxtaposition between where he lands, right, the true gospel, a gospel that says it's just about Christ and Christ. Christ alone, by faith alone, and grace alone, and he's going to juxtapose it against the false gospel of the Judaizers. And if you've been with us over the last 12 weeks or really any part of it, Ricardo's done a great job unpacking uh, what the, who the Judaizers were. Essentially, they're these ex-Jews who have converted to Christianity, but only to a certain degree, that they, they buy into Jesus, but then they add on other things. And so for them, it was the ceremonial law, and we'll see it was specifically circumcision, Okay? And they said, if you want to be a Christian, that's good. Believe in Jesus, but you need to keep doing some of this law. Otherwise, you're not really a Christian. And so this is, this is going to be the juxtaposition that Paul exists in. And then here, lastly, I want, to, I want to tell you this story. And so there was a man. His name was Martin Luther. Okay? Maybe you've heard of him. He's kind of a famous reformer, but he was also a pastor, and, and we've used this story, in the, I believe, here at Redemption before because I think it's really important and really important even for this moment. And here's why. Again, week 13 of a series where we've only talked about the gospel almost every week. And this was Luther's whole deal. And so one day he's, he's preaching at the church. He wraps up his sermon and then three or four of his congregation come to him and say, listen, uh, Pastor Luther, hey, incredible sermon, by the way. You're amazing. But, but here's the deal. Um, Every single week, you just talk to us about the gospel. Like, uh, every week, it's just this, this same story over and over and over. Surely, we're ready for something else, right? Surely, we're ready to move on. And, they, and then his response to them, and I believe, really, uh, our response, or God's response to all of us is, no, you're not. Because here's what he said. He said, you walk out this place living like a people who disbelieve the gospel, Right, so maybe in the moment for this 40 minutes, you'll sit underneath the scripture and you'll say, okay, that makes sense. I love Jesus. I will boast in him. But then the moment we leave these doors, these confines, these people, we begin to disbelieve functionally the truth of the gospel in our lives. And so this is, this is, this is kind of the debate that I think we find ourselves in now. And so I just want to say, if there's ever a time to check into this series, it's right now because Paul is about to bring it. Verse 11 says this, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And this isn't metaphorical, okay? This is Paul saying, up until this point, I've had a secretary who has done everything for me, right? So he's, he's probably walking and pacing and dictating this letter to a secretary who's writing it down, but now he gets to verse 11 of the sixth chapter of Galatians and says, you know what, this is so important, I'm picking up the pen myself, grabs it from the secretary and begins to write the last eight verses. And then he says again, these large letters. 
This, again, is not metaphorical, but they're literally large letters, okay? And so if you're writing a letter to a friend, or if you're writing a text, you guys do a lot of that. Um, I do a lot of that. Um, What do you do when you really want to get a point across? Caps lock, right? All big, bold letters. Hey, this is really important, right? T-T-Y-L, that's how important that is. Let's all big letter that thing, right? Some of you, you do the big letter, bold, underline, and italicize, and that's just too much, okay? So back up, okay? But it's really important. So everything he says from this point forward, we should listen to with extra fervor. Verse 12, ready? It says, it is those, and this is when he's referring to the Judaizers, again, this, this juxtaposition, so the, the, the false gospel people, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Okay, so here's, here's what he's saying. It's about them. Okay, this, this entire time, it's, it's not because they have a huge desire for, for the heart of the Galatian church. They don't really care about these Christians or, or what God would say is right or wrong. It's really about them the whole time. See, and, and maybe this might be a shocker to some of you, but what the world is trying to sell us is not about you and your well-being, but rather it's about them and being able to sell a product. And so whatever worldview, whatever, whatever thing that's being sold to you outside of these walls that is contrary to Scripture is not because they think it's what's best for you. It's what they want to do for themselves. And, it's, and, and, and sure, is there, there's lines in that, and there's different places where it's worse and better and all that. Absolutely. Um, but on the whole, if it's contrary to the Bible, it's... It is for their gain and not for your own. And that's what Paul says. Listen up. This is about them. This is not about you. And then he goes on. He says, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You see, what was happening to these Judaizers is they were buying into Jesus because that guy was the man right? You can't, they, they, they saw him, they saw what he did, they believed what he did, but they were so fearful of, of the Jews that were still kind of over there lobbing these, these insults, these, uh, these whispers in their ear, that instead of stepping all the way over and saying, okay, I fully believe the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that I must do nothing extra to earn salvation, I'm going to kind of sit in the middle on this fence and live in both worlds, And this is what Paul is telling. He's, listen, listen up, church. You can't do that. See, you can't have two masters. You can't exist in both worldviews, that they are in direct opposition to one another. And so they were fearful of persecution. And I think for us, maybe, we just kind of check out in that situation because we think about the persecution that Paul is experiencing here and we, man, that's nothing close to what we could even experience, right? I mean, this guy's getting stoned for stuff he's saying, right? Raise your hand if you've been stoned. That's a, a pun. I didn't mean to do that. Raise your hand if you've, been, if you've had rocks thrown at you that you would die, right? It's a tough word. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, don't raise your hand if the first one's true. Okay. <laughs> Okay. All right, here we go. Back to work. Um, but I think there is a persecution that, that comes upon us that, that is, is, is less obvious, right, that we can deny and not really think about too much. And, and, I, and I really get it when I think about my own conversion, right? So freshman year of college, I, uh, I went to San Diego State University, and I, 
man, I chose San Diego State University because I wanted to go to San Diego State University, right? And, um, and then I got saved, and it ruined all of my plans for San Diego State University. See, see, God began to do something else in calling me over here and saying, listen, this is the truth. This is the gospel. I did this for you. Come and, come and be with me, right? And then so I'm walking this direction, and what do I hear from the distance are is my old friends saying, all right, dude, you want to do the church thing? That's cool. Like, we don't hang out on Sundays anyway, right? Go ahead. Spend two hours. All right, you want to go to this midweek small group? That's cool. Um, but, there's, but, but don't give up on this stuff, right? And, and insert whatever those whispers were. For me, it was, it, was, it was going out. It was partying. It was spending time with doing things and being part of things that really at this point, and, and I, know in my, I even knew in my heart in the moment, I had no reason to be, continue to be doing those things. And yet I heard these, these whispers in my ear. And so my fear was is that if I, if I went to Jesus, right, that, that my friends would begin to lob the insults we begin to say, dude, you're just, that, you're, you're just a closed-minded, dogmatic, you just think you got it all right type of Christian. And we want nothing to do with you. And that, that was a legitimate, real fear. And I think it's a legitimate, real fear for many of the people in the room tonight. And, and, and I think there's other things as well. And just, here's, here's what's going on. Paul's saying, listen, they're doing this. They're, they're so afraid to just fully accept the true gospel, not because they, they don't really believe it. It's just because they're so afraid of what could happen over here, afraid of the persecution. And, and I think my fear is, ready, is that after 12 weeks, this being week 13 of just hearing the gospel over and over and over, this, this good news that you are saved, that you are redeemed. And we're actually, we've got a whole list we're gonna run down later that is beautiful, but um, that all of these things, you'll begin to hear the whispers. You'll begin to hear the lies. And you'll begin to, to just backtrack and say, yeah, I do kind of believe this, but I'd rather just stay right here because this is safer and I can kind of do both deals. Right? And I don't think, I don't think that's what Paul is telling the Galatian church, is saying, yeah, just do both, that's fine. He's saying, look, man, pick, right? Where are you going to be? Where are you going to exist in this spectrum, in this juxtaposed, are you going to believe in this true gospel? Are you going to believe in a gospel that has other things attached to it? For them, it was legalism. For us, I fear that it's just still clinging to our old fleshly ways. And so we, we teeter we teeter this line. Jesus speaks about it in Matthew 15, verse 6. He says, So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Right? That there is a, there is a fear. And, and here's, this series has been all about your heart. And I hope you guys get that. We've, wanted we've taken 13 weeks to say, God cares about your heart. Where is your heart? Is it fully in line with this true gospel? Do you fully believe that Jesus has done everything necessary for you to know him, to be called into community, to live eternity with him in heaven forever, and that you need do nothing more? See, or, or, or do you believe in a gospel that says, yeah, um, Jesus did do that, 
but, I, but, but if you don't hold up your end of the deal, it's actually, it's gone, right? Or, or do you believe in a gospel that says, yeah, Jesus did do that for you and you think you believe it, but, but look at your life. Clearly, your life doesn't, doesn't speak to someone who loves Jesus and you get this condemnation lobbed on you from all directions. What, where is your heart and what aspect and what, what side is your heart lining up with the gospel? Verse 13, he goes on, he says, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. So he's saying, listen, the Judaizers, the world, they don't even buy what they're selling, right? They're just, they're just it's, again, it's about them, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And so we're gonna spend just a little bit of time here looking at this idea of boasting and what, what should we boast in, what do we normally boast in, and we'll spend a little time on that. John Stott, this incredible writer, writes this as the definition of boasting. I think, it's, I think it's brilliant. He says, to boast in, glory in, trust in, rejoice in, revel in, and live for. The object of our boast or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. Right? So we will naturally boast and we will naturally find ourselves sharing stories about, speaking about that which has captured our vision. Right? What has given us a worldview that tells us this will fulfill you and insert your own thing. And we, we often talk about those as idols here. And we've done this, uh, we've done a whole series called Counterfeit Gods where we broke those down, all the different idols in life. And so um, go check out that series. It was incredible, right? But um, tonight I want to look at how do we functionally boast in those things and how does the gospel help us defeat that inclination to do it, all right? So here's what happens. Paul, as he goes to verse 14 here, makes a transition where the whole first half here has been all about the false gospel and the Judaizers and, and, and really how not to do it. And then he, he's moving over here now to the true gospel, to what Paul himself would do. And so he says in verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So He's saying, it would be crazy for me. It would be foolishness. I would be out of my mind to boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, that statement, I, I, man, even as I say it, I'm like, man, that is so not true for me. That it would be, that I would genuinely say that it is foolishness for me to boast in anything else. But Paul's, Paul's saying, listen, this is, this is just the way it's supposed to be. If, if, if the gospel has so captured our hearts that that, that truly would be our only boasting. And, and then here's what he does. is He doesn't just speak to this situation from an experiential, hey, I'm Paul. If there was anybody that could boast in, in a righteous life on the law's sake, it'd be me. It's not just an experiential, hey, I get it. It's be- this way's better. He's about to break it down logically, and I think this is how. In the second half of 14, he says this, and I'll read the whole, all of 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And so if you remember back in Galatians chapter 2, we talked about kind of this dual crucifixion, right? That, that on the cross, that Jesus was crucified, and then Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. And so we too have been crucified. And so we kind of, we know those two, but Paul's kind of adding a third layer, if you will, a, a, tr- a triple crucifixion. And so now we see the world has been crucified to us and us to the world. And so what does this functionally mean? 
And I, and I think it's this. I think how many of you have had a relationship, a friend, uh, a, a, you know, a boyfriend, girlfriend, a coworker, whatever it is, and they've wronged you in some way, and so you've gone to a friend and you've said, you know what, yeah, uh, that guy, he's dead to me, Right? He's dead to me. Or, or that girl, she, she did something that was backstabbing or whatever. Yeah, she's dead to me. What? She no longer has any influence in my life. She can no longer speak into what I do, what I think, what I say, how I act. She doesn't have that authority anymore. And so Paul said, it's, just, it's the same idea. The world, if you know Jesus, you have been so changed, so moved, that the world has been crucified, that on the cross, the world died to the believer. And it no longer has the influence on your life that oftentimes we allow it to have. But we need to know that that freedom exists. So the world has been crucified. And then the second one is that we've been crucified. And I just said Galatians uh, 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, but I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of Jesus who died and gave himself up for me, right? And so we understand that we too have been crucified. So we're dead, right? So we can't boast in the world and, and we certainly can't boast in ourselves because they're both dead. They've both been crucified, have no power in our lives. And then the third one is that Christ crucified, right? We know this, right? this is, we talk about this every week. Jesus was crucified, lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve as being crucified on a cross, and so he died, but, but what's the difference, right? What happened three days later? He rose, right? That's the difference. That's why all we have left to boast in is Jesus, because there's just nothing left, because we have died, because the world has died, and the only person, the only thing that has defeated death that warrants any bit of boasting is the only thing that's left alive, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Right? Jesus deserves our boasting because he's all that's left. And until we, we can see that, see that the text is screaming like, why are you boasting in dead things? Why do you fall in love with or tempted, wooed by lovers less wild than Jesus? He's all that's left. That's what, that's what the gospel tells us. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what we have been trying to say for, 12, for 13 weeks is he's all that's left. Jesus. And it goes on. We, uh, I, I had this opportunity, and I don't know how, I mean, actually this is probably the perfect service for this, and I know there's a crowd right around here that's been really excited about this story, um, but I got invited to a LAN party. Yeah. See, and this, you know what's funny about this is everyone already laughs when I just introduce it as a LAN party. Uh, so apparently LAN is, uh, stands for, I already forgot, live action. What is it? Local area, net, local area network. Essentially, it's, it's, 20, it's 20 guys sitting in a room playing video games, okay? Uh, but, but here's the deal. I was the guy. I was like, you know, I'm doing my binary code jokes, like 0010100, you know, that type of thing. Um, I always, always debate doing that. I look like an idiot. Um, 
but, but, but I kind of had this vision of like, okay, so they're going to sit around and, and I'll walk in, they're all going to be drinking soda and chips and yelling at each other and killing each other and that's exactly what it is. But there's, but there's kind of this community aspect to it where they're, man, they're just get, they're spending time, they're laughing, they're enjoying creation. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. And to see these games, it's ridiculous what you can do in these things now. But here's, there's actually a point to this whole story. Um, so I'm, I'm at this LAN party and we're playing this game and I... I think it was Unearth 2, right? Is that right? Dang it. Unreal 2. And it's uh, an unreal name. Okay, so the, uh, the situation is um, you run around trying to kill each other, okay? Um, and here's what happened. I'm awful. Shocker. Don't know at all what I'm doing. And so as soon as I would come to life, I would get shot in the head, right? And then die. And then I would come back to life, and I'd get shot in the head. And apparently, there's a term for this. It's called getting pwned, right? And so I got pwned as the noob, right? And so this is, this is the situation. But here's the deal, and, and Pastor Justin speaks about this uh, somewhat frequently, that pretty much, man, when we preach, like everything that we do becomes a sermon illustration. And so I'm literally sitting there, I kid you not, laughing with the guys, upset that I can't actually kill anybody, and, and, and I think, God, thank you for this beautiful picture of the gospel. Because here's the truth, I, I must have died a thousand times, and I gotta try again. And I gotta try again. And I gotta try again because here's the power of the gospel is that you are going to fall and you are going to mess up over and over and over again. And yet you will always come back to life to try again. See, that is the way the gospel works. That is the way grace works that every morning when you wake up, there are new mercies. There is new grace for your life. There is a new opportunity to glorify and love Jesus. And that's the power of the gospel, amen? See, this, this, and I guess it's called respawning, which is just a weird name. Um, see, God gives us this grace that is so unmerited, so unbelievable, that, that we could mess up this much. And yet if our heart, it's a heart issue, right? If our hearts are so inclined with what Christ has done that, man, the, it is no longer about the actions. That is a response to what Christ has done in our life and so we live it out. But man, we get to try this thing over and over and over because honestly, and we'll get to sanctification right here in a moment, um, we're not even, we'll never get there. We'll never be undefeated in this game until we're glorified with Christ in heaven. And that's just the way that this works. Verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And, and we talked about this uh, multiple times, but 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that, therefore, if anyone, is a, or if anyone is in Christ, okay, he is a new creation, the old has gone and the new has come. Okay, that you, there's literally something supernatural that happens when you put your faith in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit renews you and you are made a new creation. And, and this, this is, just speaks more to how God sanctifies us over time. And, and it is a heart issue. It is a gospel issue that focuses on your heart is because this happens over time. Something, some changes, instantaneous, right? So uh, how many people in here won, won the lottery? 640 million. No? Okay. Thought I'd ask because that'd be a good tithe. Um, we, uh, man, can you imagine that? We're like, hey, $64 million check. All right. Um, where was I going with that? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, for the three people that did win, I think there was three winning, t- winning tickets across the country or something like that, their lives from two days ago to today are, are completely different, right? Every relationship that they have has just completely changed, right? Every, uh, man, their mattress probably changed in the last two days, right? Like they, just, they probably just went out and bought whatever. I mean, their lives are completely different, and some of us have that story, Right? Some of us have that story where, you know what, man, we, we came here, we saw the cross, Christ saved us, and it was radical. Right? And, then, and then there's other of us that it takes, it takes some time, and that's okay. See, it, I mean, it took, it took Ricardo like seven years to stop making fun of Tucson, right? But, but God is good, right? <laughs> and sanctifies, okay? Um, and so there's, it's, it's, it's a process with some of us, and here's what I want to say to you. Your story is, is equally as impressive and as beautiful to Christ, okay? What he has done, how he has saved you, and if you're in this room and, and you think this is crazy, you're like, I don't even know what's saved, what are you talking about? That's fine, okay? And, and, and I, but your story even is beautiful to Christ, and, and you're here for a purpose, and each story has led you to this place, and, and, and you know, I'll save that for a moment, all right? Um, verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And so he says, listen, um, for those, okay, for those who read this, Galatian Church and Redemption Church here at Tempe Campus, for those of you that would hear this and know that this, this gospel, that, that Christ has done something magnificent and perfect that we never could have done. See, if, if this is where your heart can line up, it will go well with you. See, and, and, and sometimes we, we, we're afraid to talk about that because that usually means that we're afraid, oh, someone's going to think that now they're going to be a millionaire or they sh- they, God owes them the lottery or something like that. And that's, that's not what we're saying. We're saying the wellness comes in the presence of God in your life and the drawing into the community and family of God that is promised to those who put their faith and love in Jesus. Okay, that's, that is the wellness. But here's the deal. It will go well with you. It is, it, is a, it is a win, right, for you to know Jesus, for you to, to allow your heart to so boast in all that Christ has done. You see, I, I, know, I know how this works, right? I, I've been here, I've been doing, let's see, it's been, what year is it, 2012, right? So 2006, that's not right, 2002. It's almost been 10 years since I got saved. And it has been a process for me as I've discovered more and more of, of, of who Christ is in my life. But I know that so many times I've walked out these doors after hearing just, man, just the greatest sermon ever preached and, uh, and thought to myself, yeah, all right, that was cool. And, and maybe that's where you're at, and, and that's fine because I'm not expecting fireworks or anything. But what, I am, what I'm hoping for is that God would do a miraculous work on our hearts that we would be so much more like him that when we leave this place, our first thought is not, man, where are we going to eat? But man, how good is Jesus? How good is Jesus? Would that be the boasting of our life? Because again, he's all that we have left. And then the second part of verse 16, he talks about, uh, he calls him the Israel of God. And, then, and if, if you're kind of wondering what this is, this is us, this is the church. Right? And so he's, he's saying, okay, in the same way, that God called Abraham and a people to himself, the Israelite nation, called them to himself that they would be blessed to be a blessing to the world. 
and that they would live under his statutes, we too now, as the church, are the new Israel. And so we are now, we now blessed by God, emotionally, physically, spiritually, the whole deal, that we'd be a blessing to this world, right? And what does this mean? I mean, this, this just means, man, that's why we're involved in redemption communities. That's why we do missions. That's why we invite people here. That's why we're doing Friday and Sunday. It's why we worship on Sundays, to give him glory and make his name known, that it would be a blessing to a broken, broken world. And so Friday and Sunday, listen, statistically, right? Statistically, people will come to church with you on Good Friday and Easter far more than they would on any other week. And I guarantee you that you have friends that are waiting for you to ask them to come. And, and, and I want to be real honest. This has nothing to do with me wanting to fill this room up. The only reason we would ever want to fill this room up is that more people could hear about Jesus and boast in Jesus and know Jesus and get this gospel that has so consumed and changed my heart. That you too would cast that same vision for yourselves that, man, everyone would know that we're doing this Good Friday Easter thing. Everyone would know that he died and rose three days later. That's the idea. And so would, would we be the church, would we be the new Israel, the hope of the world through Christ that they would know him. In verse 17, going on. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And, and, and I, I said this before, but he, he was saying before, right, that, yeah, the, the Judaizers, they, they're selling something they themselves don't even buy into. The world oftentimes is selling you a system, a worldview that they know isn't gonna work because they've tried it and it's fallen short. It's, it's like the poet in Ecclesiastes that speaks of all of this life as vanity, that he tried this and tried that and went after all of these things and yet at the end realized, just keep God's commandments and love him. That's all it ends up becoming. That in the end, that's the main idea. And so he wraps it up here with verse 18 and um, and, and, and I want to take this to like a family time moment just to say this. And this is kind of on behalf of all of the elders here at Redemption and just say, man, we love you guys. We, we cannot say it enough how much we care about where God has you and what he's doing with your lives. We pray for you all the time. And, and, and my hope is, my desire is, is that you would begin to do that with one another more and more and begin to do it outside these walls more and more. So that's what, that's what the church is. And so Paul ends this letter after, man, six chapters and a ton of verses of just, just bringing it. Because this has been an intense 13 weeks of just Paul slamming the Galatian church for leaving their first love, believing in a false gospel, chasing after things that had no business being part of their lives. And he, and, and he gets to the end. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Brothers, amen. See, this, he, he ends with this, this family term to say, listen, we are in this together. I do not speak down to you. I speak with you as a, as a co-follower, as a brother in Christ. And that's, and that's where we're coming from. I mean, we, man, we want to see so much change, not just in our own lives, in our own structures, in our own church, but in this city. And you guys have to be part of it. And so I want to end with, with these last two things, and I want to recap really kind of some of the things, and this isn't exhaustive, but it covers a good bit of what we've heard about what is true of the church just from this book alone. And I think it's this. I believe that we're forgiven. 
okay? We're justified. We're righteous. We're saved from the futility of self-salvation. We're loved unconditionally. We're people of God's promise. We're adopted. We're heirs. We're sons and we're daughters. We're free. We are blessed. We are indwelled by and led by the Holy Spirit, God's presence in us. We are a new creation. We have a new identity. We have purpose. We're servants. We understand and live by love, and we love others even when they're not lovable. And we boast in the cross of Jesus Christ because there is nothing left for our hearts to cling to. Amen? I want to land with this story. Because if there's anything that we could get to the end of this series and say, would you please just capture this, carry this out with you up into, man, just the next time we get to see each other, it's this. Bill Bright was the, the founding uh, president of Camps Crusade for Christ. And I, I was involved with crew for, man, like seven or eight years and, and loved my time with that ministry, blessed by what they've done in my life. And, and Bill Bright was a visionary and this amazing man of God, his very documented about his love for Jesus. But there's this one interview that he has where he's sitting down across from, from some reporter or something like that, and they're asking him some questions, and they're running down the list, and they get to this question. And the question is very simple, but his response is so profound that it's something that I pray about nightly. And so they ask, um, Dr. Bright, who is Jesus to you? Right? Very simple. Who is Jesus to you? And his response after about a minute of silence, was just tears. He just, he just sat there and began to weep as he thought about who Christ was in his life. And it is my personal prayer every night that I too would be so moved by the truth of this gospel that a God, even when I was a sinner, would come, live the life I could not live, die a death that I deserved, and then defeat death that I might be raised with him for all eternity. That the truth of that gospel, that it would be so powerful in my life, that the person and work of Jesus Christ would be so powerful and so apparent in my mind and in my heart that I'd be drawn to tears by the simple asking of who is Jesus. And so starting next week at Easter Sunday and then the five weeks after, we're doing a series that's called Who Is This? And it's just, we're just gonna talk about Jesus for five weeks because there's not a better thing to boast in. Amen? Let's pray. God, I can't thank you enough for Paul. God, that you, uh, that you saved him. God, that you did it in a crazy way. Um, and that, God, that he was faithful to the call you had on his life. God, to love people and to plant churches and to see people drawn close to you. God, that man, we are fruit of his labor. And as we look at the last 13 weeks, as we've studied this beautiful letter to this church, of which Paul picked up the pen at the end to make sure that, that we knew and they knew the love of Christ in their life, the hope of glory, that God, that we would sit underneath that and be motivated to do the same. Christ, thank you for your cross. Christ, thank you for the work that you've done, and God, the great story that we get to be part of and share, God, both Friday and praise God on Sunday. 
Thank you for, for rising from the dead, that we would have only one thing left to boast in. God, would you so stir our hearts and our affections to be those people, that it would be something beautiful and supernatural and amazing. God, you are so good to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.